0: Welcome to Oral Ponic, a podcast about podfic. This month's episode is about My Little Pony fandom. I'm your host, Pereka, although most of this episode will be led by Kitsune Heart along with Ilya Lianov and Voice Guy. But before we get to that, I am going to start us off with some news. The most exciting of which is that The Awesome Ladies Podfic Anthology should be posting soon. Um, The deadline to get something in was February 20th, so it should be posting really soon. They don't have a specific date on their post for when it will be going live, but the beta's period is over, so I have to assume it's going to be any day now. And just as a general note, you may have noticed that Oralphonic is going up later than usual this month. And that is because we have decided to switch the posting date from the 15th of every month to the 25th. That works a little bit better for our schedule. This is going to be a permanent change. We're going to be posting on the 25th from here on out. In a slightly different note, I know we've talked about it on the podcast before, but I wanted to give an update on the state of the Audiofic Archive. The last time I talked about it here, there was the issue where the archive was back up, but we were still missing a ton of the older Podvics that had been on there. And I had started a crowdsourcing project to get them back up. Um, we were doing really well at it. We had managed to get like, of the 20,000-ish, there was like 25,000 files total, and I think there was about 20,000 missing. Um, we had managed to get about 16,000 of the files back up. And then I got an error message one day, while we'll trying to upload files, that the server was out of disk space. That happened on February 3rd, and I was kind of hoping it would be a temporary problem. But as of yesterday, which was the last time I checked, it was still there. I did contact the archive through the official channels to try and get it resolved. And I didn't hear anything back. So yesterday, on the 24th of February, I posted to Amplificathon a general update explaining what had happened and that the crowdsourcing project would be put on hold until something changed. And this morning, February 25th, I actually got a response from Gingerly, who is the owner of the Audiofic Archive saying that she was working on it. So I don't have any further details. We may or may not get to continue that crowdsourcing project, but at this exact moment of time, there's about, I think, still a little bit less than 20,000 working files, but a fair chunk of working files on the audio archive right now. However, we can't add any new files whether that be restoring the old files that are missing or adding new PodFix files for PodFix that were just recorded. So hopefully that can get resolved, but as of February 25th, that is where it is at. We did get a talk back last month, a lovely one from Love the Heaven, and
1: they had a comment from the November episode. So in your episode 24, you guys were talking about Teen Wolf podfics about Derek and Styles, and how the actors who play them in real life, the actor who plays Styles actually has a lower voice than Derek. But in almost all podfics, people would perform them where Derek has a lower voice than Styles, And while I personally do not speak any tonal language... I learned about tonal languages in my linguistics classes in college, and this reminded me of something they said about how the tone is always relative. So in Mandarin Chinese, as the classic example, there's one syllable that can mean four different words. It can mean the noun mother, the verb to bother, the noun horse, or the verb to scold. And these are the four different words. Ma, 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 ma. I took that clip from Wikipedia. And if you look at the article on Wikipedia about tone in linguistics, they have a section where they explain in the simplest sense that tones, when they matter, when pitch matters, in a language for differentiating between words, are only realized as pitch in a relative sense. If a word has to be high-pitched to mean one thing and low-pitched to mean another, it's only meaningful relative to the speaker's vocal range, and comparing one syllable to the next, rather than as a contrast of absolute pitch, such as one finds in music. So, you know, obviously, if you compare a soprano singer versus a baritone, they have very different pitches capable from their voices, But both of them could just as easily say all the words in a tonal language. And when the soprano is trying to do low tones, it's just low relative to the rest of what they say. It's not as low as low has to be when the baritone talks. And I think that's what's coming through a lot with these kinds of podfics, which you did touch on, but I just thought it was interesting from the linguistic perspective, which is that Tyler Hecklin, who played Derek on Teen Wolf, would speak in the role of Derek, often in the lowest part of his own range. And that was part of his acting. That was part of being in character for him. Dylan O'Brien, who plays Styles, would kind of do the opposite, would get overly excited and hyper and get into that mindset of being in the higher range of his own pitch capabilities. And so when you have one speaker doing an entire performance of a podfic, and playing more than one character, we internalize that kind of thing, and we perform certain types of acting in the higher range of our own voices, and we perform other things in the lower range of our own voice. And I think that's just something our brain is kind of preset to do from a very linguistic perspective.
0: I love this comment that is, Kind of exactly what I was trying to say in that episode, but I did not have the technical expertise that Love the Heaven clearly does about language to express. But yeah, I think there's just that natural inclination that a lot of people have to notice instead of like absolute pitch, they notice like where in someone's actual range they're actually speaking. That's not to say that examining something from absolute pitch is a bad thing. Like, of course not. And if you're someone who does do, like, voices in your podfic, like, kudos to you. That's That's a very hard thing to do. I can't do it. And if you need a way to distinguish voices, listening to the actual pitches of the character's voices is a fine way to go about it. But I think, like, unless you're talking about someone who has an extreme pitch to their voice... Like, actually, as you'll hear later in this episode, like, Ilya has a very deep voice. For the most part, people don't necessarily notice the absolute pitch of a voice. They just kind of are more likely to pick up where in someone's natural range someone speaks. So I think that's why a lot of pod figures just kind of go with the range of where an actor speaks as opposed to the actual pitch that they speak at. So I loved having that technical explanation from Love the Heaven. Thank you for submitting that.
1: The other thing that was talked about in that episode that I kind of wanted to comment on, you guys started talking about betas. Somnolent Blue was an amazingly helpful beta to me when I was working on my the radio game Veronica Mars Podfic for my first time participating in ITPE. I was doing so much with effects and music. It's like a radio game based fic where you like play with the radio. And I was trying to do so many things that I hadn't done before in a pod fic. And I needed help making sure the music wasn't too loud or too quiet. And I really just wanted opinions on a lot of things about it. It was a very difficult fic in a lot of ways to record. It had words I didn't know. And somnolent Blue helped me in places I didn't realize I needed it. Like when there were run on sentences with no punctuation, she would compare reading the fic versus listening to what I recorded. And she would tell me to really stay true to the spirit of the fic to pause less between the words. Or since the description said that the newscaster's voice was calm and soothing, that I should really speak differently in that one little section where I was talking about the radio getting to a news station briefly. Or when the author had a typo and had written teeth barred, and I had just read it that way without realizing that proper English would be that your teeth are bared. She just corrected me. And all those little things added up to make a much better podfic in the end because we were both listening and re-listening. And I mean, we were just really trying to make this about half hour podfic the best it could absolutely be. And she felt like a real teammate to me behind the scenes who was invested in making sure my podfic was good. And it was just really nice to not be alone when working on it.
0: I definitely get what Love the Heaven was saying about it being comforting to have a beta. Especially, I mean, I don't use them that often or at all mostly, but I know there have been times where like, especially in my early days where like I saw an obvious mistake in the words and I was just not confident enough to be like, I should fix this. It's a mistake. And I would just like, I remember this one fic where I just like kept reading a sentence that was obviously a mistake and trying to make it sound natural. And, like, I read it over and over and over again, and then I posted it, and then the author, like, was, like, fuck, I made a mistake, I just fixed it. And I had just thrown out, like, the first time when I read it correctly, and then, like, all the 50 times where I tried to read it incorrectly to make it sound natural. So, you know, it can just be nice to have someone that be, that's, like, no, just fix it yourself, or... You know, the words that you think you know how to pronounce, that it turns out you've been saying wrong your whole life. Like, those are the words that you're never going to catch on your own. You need a beta to catch. So it can definitely be good to have a beta for those things. My biggest reason for avoiding betas is my hate for (laughs) re-records.
1: I'll be honest here. And then this year, for the DC Universe Big Bang, I decided to work with a friend. Cordic Moose. We signed up as a tandem team where all along I would be podficking her story at the end of the Big Bang. She wrote the story for The Flash, you know, a DC Comics TV show. And I was a really intense beta on the writer side of things. Like, she wants that kind of beta-ing style. And she was really, we were working together and trying to make the story as flawless as possible in the sense of keeping things realistic for what characters would say, keeping the ghost story of the aspect of what she was writing compelling, keeping it so that readers would never get lost with the whole mythos she was building. And all along, she was also writing it with the fact that I would podfic it down the line in mind. Then, when I did start to podfic it, she was a very intense beta on that end. She would test listen to each little part as I did it. And she would tell me that, you know, the tone of voice for this character seemed wrong. And she didn't really have to correct that much. But there were a few things that her feedback caused me to re-record paragraphs or lines. And it was just helpful to making it the best it could be. And she also was really hands-on with suggesting where I could put in sound effects. And she had some of this stuff in mind when she was writing it. And it was almost like a team effort to build the podfic, even though it was entirely my voice and I was the one doing the audio editing. She would send me sound effect clips and music sometimes. And I would be recording the podfic and re-beta the writing part in that process because I had missed something the first time around. And the fic hadn't been posted online anywhere until the podfic was done. So we both were working together till the end. But it was very much if you want to tell me this sucks, go ahead. And that's just our styles for every step along the way. And it helps that we both don't think that the whole thing sucks, ever. And I mean, this podfic, The Haunting of Harrison Wells, is something that I feel like is just so much better than it would have been. If I hadn't had the author of the fic as the beta the whole time I was working on this podfic. Now, this one was also two hours long, which is the longest final product for a podfict I've ever made, and I'm pretty sure I worked at least 40 hours total on this thing because I do so much re-recording and editing. I've never gotten the chance to be on the beta side of that. The closest I've ever gotten to being on the intense beta side is when I've hosted some group podfics, and I'm sort of the director or the overall editor and the person in charge, And sometimes I will kind of ask if someone would be willing to redo a part, because I'm trying to make the final product flow together in a particular way. And I haven't really successfully finished a group project yet, but I am in the middle of two of them, and I hope to maybe finish them eventually.
0: Wow, that's a really intense beta process. I've always been kind of curious about doing a process like that. But I don't know if I would have it in me to do that many re-records. I think I'd rather have it as like an in-person director thing. But it's really cool that that kind of project exists. And kudos to you and your author for putting something like that together. It's really neat that projects like that exist. And good luck on getting your group project done. That's our one talk back. With that closed, we're going to move on to our main topic which is My Little Pony fandom. And I will let Kitsinhart, Ilya Leonov, and Voice Guy take over as they compare My Little Pony fandom, which is fairly separate from the rest of Podfic fandom as we know it. And as Kitsinhart kind of compares and contrasts the My Little Pony experience to her experience in fandom, and how she has experienced podfic fandom. So, I hope everyone enjoys.
2: Hello.
1: Hello. Hello there. Oh my goodness.
2: Huh, your voice really is that low.
1: I <laughs> know, right?
2: I wasn't lying or anything. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people theorize that you edited it.
3: <laughs> I yeah. I kind of suspected that you didn't, but I'm still surprised.
4: No, it's just an old voice.
3: Um, just to start off, uh, I think everybody should just introduce themselves.
2: Hello, my name is Voice Guy. I've been narrating MLP Fix since 2014. I currently have about 190 subscribers on YouTube, one patron on Patreon donating $1, and I also do... Streams on Twitch in which I invite fans over to uh, hang out, chat about what they like, and even edit, suggest edits on stories that I've, that I've narrated.
4: And my turn now, then. I am Ilya Leonov. I uh, narrate what we call, or what I call, audiobooks of fanfics. I have a channel with about 2,500 subscribers, and I have about... 150 things up on the YouTube site and SoundCloud site as well. I do mostly MLP fan fiction. I work in an occasional Poe or Lovecraft, a a bit of poetry and some of my own poetry and a bit of music. So that's what I do. Okay.
3: And my name is Kitsune Hart. Um, I have not done much My Little Pony, uh, recording. I've done some things, uh, ancient things for Artemis Fowl and more recently some Steven Universe stuff. Mostly what I do for audio recordings is I work with, uh, with Ginger Lee's archive, which I'll explain to you to in a moment in, well, in a few minutes, just getting things archived and managed. And kind of the reason I wanted to get in contact with a few My Little Pony recorders is that the there actually is a very large My Little Pony Friendship is Magic fic recording community, which has somehow completely not connected to Podfic as a whole. And I thought it was really fascinating, and I was wanting to look into, I guess basically to start with, how did you two actually become involved in recording Pony fanfic? And like, what is the recorder community like? Because I, I believe one of you mentioned that you are part of like a Skype group of some recorders. So there, there is some connection. It's just like, there's two isolated communities. There's Pony. And then there's like everyone else.
4: Well, In my own personal story, I have to admit that I was not even aware of any great podfic recording group. I I didn't know much about uh, other fandoms and how long this had been going on. I had assumed, I've uh, recently learned I was a bit wrong, but I had assumed that this all grew up with YouTube. Because before YouTube or SoundCloud, there wouldn't have been much of a sharing medium, but apparently they've been people recording these things and handing them back and forth on tapes for years, which I wasn't even aware of.
2: When I got into recording, I, have uh, I've been mainly hanging out on the, uh, Fim fiction group on 4chan, their, uh, particular threads. They would post stories that they liked, they disliked. And of course they'd say, you know, what typical 4chaners would say about stories they didn't like. And, uh, one day, they had taken one of the particularly awful stories, and I thought, hey, what if I narrated it? <laughs> and uh, this was before YouTube, or this was before I um, would post the videos on YouTube. I would do Volcaroo links. <laughs> Have any of you heard of Volcaroo?
4: Yeah, is it older than YouTube?
2: Yes. I didn't know. Um, I would use Volcaroo links instead of YouTube, but Volcaroo links are fleeting. They get deleted, like, after a few months. And that's when I thought, SoundGuard that's when I thought Soundgarden, but after a while, you can only post so much content on Soundgarden before they have to before they charge you. I believe, right?
4: Well, yeah, and it's it's where you want to be seen. Um, I mean, I've, I've had a SoundCloud site longer than I've had a YouTube site, but I don't get nearly as much traffic on SoundCloud because YouTube is simply where everybody goes. So, yes, I, th- I think you probably need to be there even if you're somewhere else. Yeah,
2: and so. I just thought, hey, what if I just upload the recordings on YouTube? And so, simply with Movie Maker, I add the title. I add whatever chapter I narrated, if there is a chapter.
4: That's about it. Well, my entry story, it's probably a bit... There are a lot of things that make my story anomalous. And I think they all stem from one fact that... Um, I jokingly call myself the oldest brony in existence. I'm not, I'm sure, but... I'm the oldest one that I know, um, and so I don't have a lot of connection with modern pop culture. Uh, it's really odd that I would even be a, you know, into the MFB fandom, but I, I was—I had a, a legitimate route in. But my, my pop culture was the 60s and the 70s. I am 61 years old. Um, so <laughs> people wow. always go, what in the world are you doing? Having um, fun. But I've had a microphone in my hand ever since I was five. My oldest memories are my father, who was a guitarist, and talking on his microphone. And I bought my own, or I didn't buy it and have any money, but I was given one when I was nine. And so since the early 60s, I've just been recording my voice over and over. And, you know, and I got into some radio. I did some advertising on radio and, and recorded those nefarious and awful ad-on-hold things that you see when you get on telephone and somebody puts you on hold and you have an advertisement. Uh, but I'd never done a story, never never tried it. And the first fanfic that I ever read uh, it was a My Little Pony fanfic, and it was Past Sins. Which, oh, Yeah. yeah sort of a seminal fanfic it was it's um it kind of got me hooked on the genre i said you know i'd always assumed that fan fiction was horrid, that you know it was trash and there wasn't anything good written and you know just assume that because they weren't professional writers well that's a bull i mean non-professional musicians are as good as professional musicians quite often so i was blown away um by how good past sins was and i said you know what I think I'd like to read that and record it. And so I did. Um, But that's not my entry into MRP, but it is my entry into uh, recording fanfics.
3: I know for me and sort of the fanfic recording community at large, I actually wasn't aware that people were recording these on tapes, but I, I guess it makes sense overall. I only really became aware of recording fics about eight years ago. But as for hosting, uh, fandom as a community has had this website called Gingerly's Archive, which I'm looking at it. The oldest fic I'm finding is from August 2007. And so this is actually a site that an individual hosts or hosted kind of at this point just on their own dime and people could load up their files there and they would be just kind of tagged and then you would be able to download them from the archive. So that's kind of where one, one of the first really big homes of Podfic is. So for nearly 10 years now, there's been that Gingerly's archive and there have been other sites from before that. More recent, we have another person, Paraka, and she hosts a lot of things. So people will go to other websites like the Archive of Our Own, and they'll make their post there. And then their download link goes to Paraka's site. And Paraka is, again, I think doing this on her own dime. Um, I'm, I honestly don't know uh, what the setup there is, but it she hosts so much stuff. And we're all very thankful to her, to her. She actually runs this podcast. She's just uh, handed it off to me for this recording. And so I guess that answers my question the, about why YouTube. It's just, it's just a cheap hosting platform.
4: Well, it just takes over. I mean, if somebody wants to look for something, and, and, and it's got Google power too. So, I mean, everything about wanting to find something is there. I, I can't imagine a lot of um, smaller sites surviving in the face of that juggernaut.
2: Uh, but the catch-22 of that is that YouTube is so large. How do you find the content that you want to find?
4: Well, that's, that's a difficult question. There, there is an MLP um, fan fiction audio website. I can't remember the name of it right now. I've got several things there, but I, I posted probably 30 or 40 pieces there, and they don't get a lot of traffic, so I just stopped bothering that's the problem. If so, if you're going to have some separate thing where everyone will be able to know where everything is, then somebody's got to maintain it. Somebody's got to buy a service space. I mean, it's 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 quite a project to do that when it gets so large. And we're not talking about text anymore. We're talking about audio, which is rather dense.
3: And I think this is especially true with the Pony community because um, it's very large. And uh, while there is a large PodFit community, there is just an enormous uh, My Little Pony community that can kind of descend on a website and uh, do a fair bit of trouble if uh, the hosting isn't set up correctly. That's true. And and that's yeah. not really a problem with YouTube. You, you can't really crash YouTube very easily. But there is one thing that I was kind of curious about this since it is on YouTube, you do kind of have to follow their terms of service and everything. And I definitely have seen some people get their stories taken down because they'll use a picture from the show as a cover. Have you ever run into any problems hosting on YouTube that way?
2: Daniel, how about you? No, not really. I mean, the cover art, the thumbnails that I use for my videos are basically the cover art of the stories themselves, if they have cover art. And if... And if not, I just create a uh, a title in movie maker that just that's just the title of the story.
4: I, I do pretty much the same thing. Um, sometimes, uh, say if I do a song perhaps, and I want to have different images during the song, then I'll search the web, usually deviant art. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of images there. And um, I'll find images that are relevant to the song, and then I credit the images. I've, I used to I used to ask in advance, but no one ever said no. They always said, "Oh, sure, I'd love to have you use it." So I to, the, the main thing I've had problem with in the past is music, uh, because I always have bumper music in and out of the thing. And one time um, there was a story that I did called "March to the Scaffold" by Kis, let's see, I think it was um, I was Kusunirisu, I think I can't remember no. He had made all these suggestions during each chapter. He said, okay, when you when you read this chapter, uh, play this music with it. And he'd suggested music. Well, you know, I was naive and I just put all that music as bumper music and got all sorts of hits. It was, it was you know, famous things, famous recordings, and, and a lot of them were Germans. And German uh, Germans are very, very strict with their copywriting. They, they don't let you get away with much. And SoundCloud was uh, largely German in those days. So I had to take those down, and I had a, and so I commissioned um, uh, Reverb Brony, who's a musician in the fandom that I know, to do bumper music for that one, and I had to redo all the videos, and, and I learned my lesson there. So now I get my music from mostly from a site called Incompetech, which I, if I forget his name, McLeod, somebody, something, Kevin McLeod, I think is his name, and he has a thing on his site. He says, you can use any of my music as long as you credit me, and so I do, so. That's uh, it's just a learning process. You you can't get away with murder. No.
2: The only real problems I've had with the music end is that very recently I had done a stream for one of the chapters of the Chase, and uh, somebody suggested, "Hey, oh no, not that, not the Chase. Actually, it was um, Celestia's relaxing vacation. Have you ever heard of that?"
3: <laughs> I have not. I probably have it on my to listen list. It's the the listening list is very long.
2: For Celestia's relaxing vacation, I'll say it's very, it's very something. <laughs> and uh, for the char- for the list of characters that was in the description, the description is four thousand words long, right? And um, so that's for the descri- a long, that's I a right? long description. <laughs> uh, well, the description is, you know, like this is what happens in the story, and then the list of characters, the list of Fetishes that happens in the story, <laughs> and uh, somebody had suggested, "Hey, for the list of characters, why don't you play Tiny Tim's uh, tiptoe through the window?" And I had done that just for as like ten seconds long, and uh, I got copyright stricken, so I had to okay. take down the video. I had to uh, redo the, get rid of the audio and upload it back up.
4: It breaks your heart, doesn't it?
2: Yeah, it does. It was really funny. I uh-huh. I was able to keep uh, some of the other things, but. Now I as a rule I say no copyrighted music please.
3: Yeah. Um so Voice Guy I know sometimes you do some of the more um uh, grim- oh. yeah awful and grim dark fix and you've never had a problem there with YouTube content they
2: as long as really as long as you tag things properly and uh, mark it as age restricted I've never really had a problem with that. I've never All really right. been recorded.
4: I the haven't only heard, times heard of that, no. y- you go ahead, I'm sorry, I was just going to uh, i am not a very good skyper, I suppose I tend to treat it <laughs> as a conversation. I was just going to say that no, I've never heard of that sort of thing happening. The only times I've ever been reported,
2: I guess have been authors that have been salty that I've made fun of their story
4: Oh,
3: <laughs> and that <laughs> and so that does come to like my next question um. Uh, and I also know that Ilya was talking about getting permission for images. So, um, is there do you have like a process of asking writers before you record? Because like in the Podfic community at large, we have on um, the website Fanlore, we have a very long list of people who are who say you're free to record whenever you want. You don't have to ask me. but otherwise, kind of the uh, process is always to ask first. And um, I was curious if that's a in the Brony recording community. Is there a thing of asking first or is it just assumed among Bronies that you can go ahead and record? Because that that was the one thing that I've been like, kind of like "Eh," about.
4: It's a changing landscape. Let me put it that way. Um, I think everyone was a bit tentative when they began. I used to always get permission before every story. And then. I found that sometimes the people wouldn't answer back and some but when they did, they were always, you know, enthusiastic to have their story done as an audiobook. I mean it was an honor. It's a piece of fan fiction. Somebody wants to do an audiobook, oh excellent. And then one time I didn't uh, I there was an author that's that's a, a good author, a well known author named Bad Horse. In I did one of his fictions and then I told him I had done it, and I tentatively asked him permission during the time I was telling him I was doing the fic, and and, and he was so complimentary to me. He he went on his blog, and he said that uh, it um, it was like being asked by Francis Ford Coppola, would you, you mind if I take that story and make a movie, which… I thought it was very, very, very much an honor to have the author dream of that. And uh, s- since I've gotten such overwhelming support, I've sort of slacked off on asking. I-, I really don't do it so much anymore. No, I've never asked. I've never asked, not once.
2: Whenever I see a story that I would like to narrate, I just take the f- – if it's short, I just narrated it. And then I uh, – once it's uploaded, I upload the video in the comment section – of the particular story, and they've always been appreciative. If they've replied back, they've always been like, "Hey, that's awesome! That was really cool."
4: I'm sorry, do you, voice guy, do you do you not um, send them a, a PM after after you've uploaded it? No. Um,
2: if they uh, haven't replied in like say a week or two, uh-huh. I, I I usually will say, "Hey, I did this narration. Do you like it?" And they've always said yes. But there has been one who said, "No, I don't like it. Can you please take that down?" Wow! And I was on two sides of it. I part of me wanted to say, "Sure," but the other part of me wanted to say, "Well, you don't really
4: own it." Yeah, it's a derivative work of a derivative work. Uh, it's not. It doesn't have any legal legs. But you, you know, there is politeness. Um, uh, well, I'm not. A... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not very damn polite. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah,
2: I'll admit I'm not the most polite person. <laughs> well, that's all right. Do your own. Uh,
3: the reason I actually ended up doing this recording is because uh, about a month ago, uh, Shadow of Cygnus messaged me saying that he had done a recording of a fic I did, which caught me out of the blue because I hadn't been contacted first, and I was. At first, like a little like, eh? and then I remember that I'm actually on fan lore for Blanket Permission. And I know that he didn't go there. Um, but it was kind of like, uh, you know, I was okay with it in general. Um, but yeah, I think it is that is, I think, one of the biggest divides between My Little Pony recorders and uh, fan recorders in general. Because, uh, again, there are so many resources. It's very big on uh, personal ownership of your recordings. I actually have this agreement with somebody that I recorded like a 24 hour long fic and she had this habit of posting it and removing it and posting it and removing it as she went through like periods of religious fervor. And part of our agreement was that if I go through all the trouble of doing this, you're not going to make me take it down again. And I actually like have a screenshot of that just in case she comes back around and changes her, her mind later. Like she agreed that it can be there forever. Cause I put in, you know, a hundred plus hours on this thing.
4: I just can't imagine anybody in the pony community not wanting their story to be spread around a bit more. It just doesn't make any sense to me.
3: I think a big thing that ends up happening is that um, as people get, you know, a lot of these early writer, a lot of these writers are, you know, in their younger years, and as they get older, sometimes um, they become embarrassed by their old work, or they're trying, to, or they're trying to hide it for employment purposes.
4: Well, and
3: so that is a thing that happens.
4: I suppose it depends on the content of the story to a certain extent.
3: Yeah, yeah. definitely. Another thing I found very interesting is that the My Little Pony writers actually have their own website just for fanfiction. It's uh, FIMfiction.com, is that?
4: Oh, yeah. Uh, .net. 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 Yeah, net is huge.
3: Yeah, it is very large. Uh, and, like, fandom as in general instead uses <laughs> a website called The Archive of Our Own, which is a subsection of uh, the nonprofit Organization for Transformative Works. And that actually exist to uh, help defend fandom in a legal standpoint. Um, and so they, they actually have gone like before various congressional hearings to argue for uh, creative works and things like that. That's nice. Yeah, it? it's uh, yeah. Uh, but the the again, the My Little Pony people are just kind of like often off on their own thing.
4: Well, they are and I think a lot of them um well, a lot of the ones I know were in other fandoms at one point or another, but a lot of them aren't. A lot of them are just drawn into this huge maelstrom of My Little Pony without being exposed to a lot of other fandoms and fics and things like that. So there's just it's it's a maelstrom. It's fanfiction.net is a juggernaut. It's got several billion words of fanfiction. And the other day, I think it was you mentioned something about Fallout Equestria. You call that one? There are over 120 Fallout Equestria stories with a combined total of somewhere around 120 million words. And that's just Fallout Equestria. There are millions and millions and millions, billions actually, words on finfiction.net. And it just sort of bowls everyone over. And it's just, it's, 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 it's hard to get too concerned about any one little tiny story in that gigantic group.
3: Yeah. And I mean, Fallout Equestria, um, just on its own, it's done something that I know has been done before, but I've never seen to this extent in that it has gotten, um, I won't say published, I'll say printed. There are now on their third print run of this mm-hmm. fan fiction I was lucky enough to get on this one and I ordered several. uh, I ordered like three copies because what ends up happening is there's such a fan following that once or twice a month somebody decides that they need some money and so they'll put their old old copies of the first two print runs up and they will sell um, around $500 to $700 for these uh, book collections. Jeez. Yeah. You. Oh my goodness. You've not seen this yet. So I actually ended up buying three copies on the assumption that maybe a few years down the line.
2: I gotta get on that train.
3: Unfortunately, the uh, the 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 purchase order has gone through. So um, you could probably get on the wait list. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So like paying fifty dollars per copy, and you know several years down the line, it might end up selling for, you know, five to seven hundred dollars. Mm-hmm.
2: That's it. That's something I actually wanted to say, is that the uh, the Brony community, there's a lot of money in it.
3: There is. And actually, um, that's another one of my points. So you mentioned that you have a Patreon. And I tried to also get in contact with some other people. You had mentioned another artist called The Lost Narrator. And I also tried with Scribbler Productions and mm. Visual Pony, who are three people that have Patreons that have around, like, $600 in subscribers either per month or per project, Um, which is something that's unheard of in Podfic in general. Um, There will be fundraisers. Like, I know right now there's, I think, some fundraisers for the ACLU going on where people can, you know, pay in some amount of money and somebody will record something, but the money goes to charity. But there's actually a Patreon, and I was just kind of curious about your views on that.
4: Um, Ilya, would you like to speak first? Well, I'm all for it. Um, Scribbler uh, of Scribbler Productions is a good friend of mine. She she and I have been sort of in this boat together since we both started doing this. Now, I've got 2,500 subscribers. She's got about 110,000 subscribers. So her Patreon pulls in a great deal of money. I don't have one. Um, but I'm all for it. I mean, she puts a lot of work. I've never seen anybody work that hard. She she records, she edits, she produces, she coordinates, uh, just massive amounts of fan work. And and so if, if she didn't get paid for that, I'd feel a little bit bad about it. I, I, know, I know Lost to a certain extent, and, and I know Visual Pony a little bit, but uh, Scribbler I know very well. For me...
2: Just even having one person donate one dollar is huge to me. When I actually had started narrating, a friend of mine had mentioned, hey, you're really good at this. Why don't you do commission work? And I thought, "Mm, yeah, I'm good. But I really doubt people would pay money just to hear me read words. And so for the threads on 4chan that I hang hang out on, I had told that story and they said, hey, I'd like to pay you. you. So I was like, all right. I set up a PayPal account. I linked it to a bank and stuff. And, uh, the story he had wanted me to read after I had set up prices was, um, uh, a delicate balance and it was pretty long. And, uh, he had actually, uh, um, commissioned $130 for me to read that story. Right. And, um, uh, a year down the line, another person had don't, had commissioned $100 to read, uh, I forget its name, but it's a crossover between My Little Pony and um, Bioshock. And um, that sounds long. it was it was it were pretty long stories. Admittedly, I have yet to actually finish either of those two commissions.
4: But well, um, I'd like I'd like to look into that. Uh, I haven't uh, really thought about it. I haven't thought about even monetizing my my YouTube or or anything. But I'm on the other side of life, and uh, I've owned a business for the last 20 years that I'm in the middle middle of selling, and I'm going to be close to just sort of retirement and a bit of social security and odd jobs before long, probably. And I would like very much for part of that uh, extra income to be audio, if I could figure out how to do it. I like it. Well,
2: <laughs> I know this is I know this would be odd to say to you. Considering your age, but don't don't when it comes to monetization on YouTube, don't expect the big bucks right out the door.
4: Well, not with the few subscribers that I have. No, I wouldn't. Um, and that wasn't really one of the avenues, but I was thinking about maybe doing some commission work or trying to I've done a couple of audio books that got up to Amazon, yeah. but I haven't really made any money. There's, I haven't done anything popular, but I would like to pursue that in some way. I don't sure. know if my little pony's the right avenue. <laughs> it might be something
2: else. Well, yeah, that's that's why I've kind of branched out in different fandoms. I've done a couple of Steven Universe stories, and uh, I don't just narrate stories. I also do some Let's Plays where I either speak or don't speak. You explore every avenue that you can.
4: Yeah. Hopefully I'll have time to do that soon.
3: Sort of in a different means of creation, We've mentioned that there's a lot of money going around in My Little Pony. Th- there are other things that are definitely making money, um, like White Dove Creations. She makes plushies. and yeah. Yeah, the last I'd heard, they go for, aren't they very nearly around $1,000?
2: Quite often. Yeah, they're, they're great. They're fantastic creations. So. They're quality plushies.
3: Yeah, they're very good handmade. She makes about $1,000 for each of them. And I think that's what she does for a living. Um, and she'll go to conventions, and it's more that there are things on display than that you could actually purchase because she does get a backlog going. My Little Pony fans just... They very much have a lot of money to throw around. They, yeah,
4: they
3: sure <laughs> Yeah. I have a... It a personal story... I was helping with the setup for BabsCon, which is the Bay Area Brony Spectacular um, My Little Pony Con in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And so I made a set of custom Cards Against Humanity cards for for their charity auction. Mm -hmm. And it ended up auctioning off around $500. And so, granted, this was for charity, but it was... These cards cost maybe $20 to make, (laughs) and I actually knew the person (laughs) who bought them, so I was... Kind of wanting to go up and be like, dude, I could have like given you the files.
4: <laughs>
3: and I did an auction for a second set of these on Desert Bus for Charity, and they did it more as a raffle, and that earned several thousand dollars for the raffle. So yeah, my Older Pony fans have a lot of money they're willing to throw around.
2: I think that's um, the, f- the f- fandoms as a whole. If you make a quality product, you will get money for it, if you were willing to sell it. And I know a lot of people, they just do it to do it, not for money. They just like the like whatever fandom they're in.
3: Yeah, and I mean, I go to a lot of conventions, and I do see a lot of artists selling their prints and things like that. And it's just, at, at present, it is just that massive still for My Little Pony
4: well you bring you you bring up an interesting point here when you talk about the plushes and how much they sell for um, because th- there seems to be no legal issue in selling a one of a kind item that you create, but you can't do mass things. like there was a printing of past sins, and I got one of them because I got to know Penstroke and he gave me one. but they they really couldn't sell them for anything more than the cost of producing the books. Because they have licensed characters in them. Well, these plushies are licensed characters too, but they're one-of-a-kind items, and like your cards, you couldn't go around, you know, sell a thousand sets of them if they if they were My Little Pony related. But you can do one. Um, so there are some these roads get crossed, but I, I think that um, that Hasbro probably keeps an eye on it to some extent, but. But what's advertising, you know, what's advertising and and what's – trademark infringement. It's it's a close call sometimes.
2: Yeah, which reminds me of that uh, game project, Fighting is Magic, that got canned.
3: Yeah, Yeah, which turned into –
2: Them's fighting herds.
4: Yeah, as Lauren Faust got involved
3: in that. Yeah, uh, this game, Fighting is Magic, got a cease and desist. And then Lauren Faust, the – Kind of the recreator of this new series of My Little Pony actually created designs and they renamed it under them's Fighting Herds, and so that game I believe is coming out in the next quarter. It is very near complete.
2: I hope it. Uh, I hope it goes well for them.
3: Kind of just to you know bring this to a close and wrap things up. The, they always want to hear some recommendations, and I mentioned a few. To you all, so I'm just gonna real quickly kind of just describe these, and then if you have any recommendations, uh, we'll do those. And I think the very first fan recording I have to recommend is one of two options for Fallout Equestria. So it's Fallout Equestria is written by KCAT, and it's the two people who I know have finished recordings of this are Crazed Rambling or visual pony. It's less a re- reimagining of Milo Pony and more a reimagining of Fallout, um, where basically you follow the story of a pony who is a vault dweller following a apocalyptic war between the ponies and the zebras, and you follow this pony, Little Pip, as she first goes in search of an, a fellow vault dweller, and then eventually ends up on this epic quest to um, save pretty much the world. And it is incredibly long. I think the fan recordings are around 60 to 70 hours. And this is the main story, the one that gets printed. So that's my top recommendation. I've listened to it twice. It is amazing. So my second and third recommendations are actually somewhat related. They're about Dr. Who's. So it is it basically <sighs> basically a crossover of My Little Pony and Dr. Who, where the doctor goes through a temporal space-time anomaly, whatever, and ends up in Equestria. The first one is called Dr. Who's Adventures, which is written and produced by Squeak-Anon. And that one features the Doctor teaming up with the main character of My Little Pony, Twilight Sparkle, as they go through adventures. And the other one is Doctor Hooves An Assistant, which is written and produced by Ponies with Pockets. And that one features the character of Ditsy-Doo, as they also go off on adventures together. And these two have actually crossed over for a very good three-part crossover episode, which was themed to Alice in Wonderland and my final recommendation that I have is the memoirs of a royal guard series which is written by Ansel and read by Scarlet Blade and it starts off as a alternate viewpoint on the series as done from the view of one of the castle's royal guards as just various events from the first season happen. But it has ended up turning into sort of a pony military story, with the main characters now off in the middle of a war, but also dealing with a lot of relationships with families and romance and things like that. And that's a three-parter, and that is one of the stories that also I have a print copy of the first book, because it had enough of a following to get a printing as well. So those are my four for X, and I was wondering if you two have anything that you would recommend reading or listening to as well.
4: Oh, go ahead.
2: Um, the only rec- recommendation that I can really make is uh, Siren Song. Um, my recording, or without my recording, it is a beautifully written story. It's, um, it's not a complete Bioshock crossover, because in the Bioshock games, uh, civilization has completely collapsed and um, everyone is this psychotic mutant but in sirens song there is still some civilization left there is still some order and uh it really adds this um like this this unknown element like it's not retelling the tale of Bioshock it's it's its own story within the Bioshock setting and um, that's the only real recommendation I think I could make I haven't um, recently read a whole lot. Yeah, Ilya, anything I you'd g- like to add?
4: Yeah, i would plug a couple. Um, well, let, just a couple of my own to start with. Apotheosis uh, was written by Deatron. It was one I recorded a couple of years ago. And he just wrote this wonderful tril- trilogy um, about um, exploring certain aspects of Equestria and uh, world bu- a lot of world buildings, very good. And then there was a one called Dream that I, that I recorded that was just a beautiful little sort of um, – um, it's sort of a fairy tale, but it's, it's a wonderful fable, and uh, it, it has a good voice. And that's how I choose my <clears throat> stories usually is if I feel like the voice suits mine, <clears throat> which I seem to be losing at the moment. Uh, but Project Sunflower by Hoopie McGee that was done by Visual, Visual Pony. Uh, it was a wonderful story. Uh, and it's, a, it's a human and equestria, a ponified human and equestria story, but it's really well written. And I think that Visual Pony did a wonderful job of it. Um, Twilight Sparkle gets a free salad. I don't know if you've heard of that. <laughs> Goody's Serenade uh, produced this wonderfully funny story. Um, and uh, I could kick myself in the head for not remembering who the actual author is. But uh, but give that one a look. Um, oh, um,
2: another thing I'd like to recommend, just because I just remembered it, is um, the Conversion Bureau, the Other Side of the Spectrum. Mm. It's a uh, story in which uh, the Conversion Bureau universe is evil, because yes, it is. And um, they... A major in the human world goes to the real Equestria, the the Equestria of the TV show. And so TV show Equestria and the human world team up to fight the Conversion Bureau Equestria. (laughs) That sounds
4: fascinating.
2: Yes, and I had actually written a uh, side story as like an alternate universe side story to that story where the humans lose. And um, I had added Trevor from Grand Theft Auto V. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you two know him. Anyway, he was ponified, but he didn't become, you know, docile as uh, ponified humans become. Mm-hmm. And um, I, it's not the greatest thing I've ever written. But Redskin, who had written the story, the Conversion Bureau story, liked it so much that he actually wrote a chapter for me and written a chapter in his own story that kind of ties it together with mine. Yeah, so um, I was super appreciative of that, and I really recommend Conversion Bureau, the other side of the spectrum. I
4: might take a look at that. There's one last one that I haven't read, that I haven't listened to yet, but I want to listen to because it's a good story. It's a dangerous business going out your door. Which is a sort of a, a token-esque uh, adventure uh, that the, the ponies take on, and, and the the online recording is by Deep Sky Pony. So, at some point, I'm going to get into it and probably listen to that one.
3: I, I was checking out my backlog, and I have something around something around a thousand hours of My Little Pony fanfic in the backlog right now. <laughs> Good Lord. You guys produce so much stuff, I can't keep up.
4: <laughs> There's a lot of it, I'll tell you that.
3: I I think that about wraps us up. So thank you, Voice Guy and Ilya Leonov. Uh, uh, thank you very much for joining me.
4: Well, thank you very much for having us on. Thank
2: you. This was really fun.
4: Yes.